Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. We've been on this kick. (laughs) At least that's what they used to call it. I did not know that kicks were actually shoes. That's how out of touch I am with the current terminology. So forgive me, I'm constantly struggling against throwback mode. (laughs) We've been on this kick of um, really the message of love. That God loves us. He loved us first. Because He loved us first, we not only can love Him, but we can love one another. And what happens when you don't respond to love, either God's love, or in that then can't love one another, you really foul it all up. And how bad can it be? You can eternally die. I know every time I bring up death and dying, I believe I lose listeners. I also realize why, there might be somebody might be saying, why will you talk about other things like life, adapting to life, uh, socially, environmentally, emotionally, psychosocial environment, emotionally, this counseling sort of concepts, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. What do you talk about all the good things? Communication, communion, how to get along with one another. <laughs> what do you talk about all those good things? How to be healthy and happy, how to overcome all the bad things of fears and doubts and with that then the rational and the logical and the reasoned and with that then overcoming all of those things that would be the worst of us as humans (laughs) being reactive. How do we have a better relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as well as each other and can't we celebrate that? (laughs) And I politely say, yes, of course. And I do think we talk about that. But until you settle this whole issue of what really dead is, and you speak of it in this type of context of love, unless you understand that really to be dead is to not love. And if there is then anything to life, it is love. And Even life itself, the gift of life itself, was part of charity. (laughs) God's loving us, so much so, life itself, that he entrusted the gift of life to us. Adam and Eve, after leaving the garden, were to then repopulate or populate the earth. Well, I guess you could say repopulate. There's some theories out there that uh, we've all been through this before and this is yet but another moment in time and I don't know that we (laughs) need to get into that. That would muddy the waters even more. But it is sufficient to say that it all started with God creating Adam and Eve, but he passed that on to us. And how were we to do that? In love. And how good then would life be in love, except that we would continue to love God and practice it in that same way with each other. Understand what that's all about. Speak the language of life, the, as we've been saying in the podcast, the word of life unto one another. So I'm not ready to move off of that just yet. But we're getting close, at least in these sort of terms. Because except that you would understand that is really dead, and the only way to be resurrected from the dead is love, 
and get that right with God so that you can love one another, then we're all, as they also say, I've heard it said, dead men and women walking, condemned, cursed, to not just dead, but eternal, the second death, an eternity of death. Who would want that? I certainly wouldn't. My ministry of the word to you in even counseling sort of context in terms would be, you don't have to settle for that. But any of those good things that you would prefer me to talk about, let's just settle this first. Accept God's love, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the fruit of the Spirit being love, God himself being love. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love others then as God loves you. And then we'll see all those other things. Seek ye first. Jesus has said, would say, did say, continue to say, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these other things will properly light up. (laughs) And then you'll begin to see them. All the signs of life, the evidences of life, the greatest of which is not only love, but the resurrection power of love to overcome death in the grave. And should there be a need for any further contrast, instead of eternal death, a second death, once you pass from this life, which we, I think, mistakenly have called death, or at least in calling it death, we've misunderstood, or it's grossly a misrepresentation. It's just really a passing on. But instead of an eternity defined by death, an existence that is then overshadowed or, or at least in a very pragmatic sort of way could be said to be so shadowed by death that you never are able to get out of that shadow... You are going to spend then eternity in death, but instead of it seeing it that way or in contrast, let's talk about eternal life then. <laughs> let's talk about how loving God and loving others as you love yourself not only is sanctification in material life a way to overcome or go through that passing of, I should say it again, with respect to the fact that we call it death, but it really isn't. It's the passing away of the physical dimensions into an eternal spiritual dimension. But I think even so, the book of Revelation seems to suggest we may have, in fact, that notion of this dispensation of time, we may come back in a different form At a different time, in a different way, who knows? Only Jesus. Will these dry bones live again? God would ask Ezekiel, and Ezekiel would say, only you know, God. The book of Acts. And I'd like to, since we've been on this love kick, and this overcoming death kick, and the correlation of those two things, as I've tried to, in some sort of way, summarize it as the opening monologue, so to speak, of today's podcast. Let's go to Acts 28, starting with verse 1. And when they were yet, or when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, they came, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderous, or is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet justeth alloweth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. However, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. 
This is the last chapter in the book of Acts. What follows is the book of Romans. And in that then, as the book of Acts leads to this last chapter, concludes with Paul then finally arriving in Rome, we would presume that the book of Romans captures a bit of his discourse, his conversation, continued conversation with the Hebrew people in Rome. And should there be Gentiles, which I'm sure as much Rome was not necessarily filled only with Hebrews, there would have been plenty of opportunities to present the gospel to the Gentiles. And even so, at the conclusion of this chapter, Paul again laments, he's going to have to count on the Gentiles because the Hebrew people are not paying any serious attention to this clarion wake-up call that if you aren't able to love, you're dead. And you may still be alive, but you might as well be, as we called it a moment ago, dead men walking. And even so, should you claim to knowing the God of life and knowing even so, of his love as shown unto the Hebrew people, if you're not loving the Gentiles, and if you're really even so not loving those that don't quite measure up to what you think they should be in even Jewish or Judean or Hebrew terms, then you're going to reject them uh, Cast them out. You may not kill them, literally, for thou shalt not kill. It's one of those sentinel mosaic commandments that then as Moses brought them off the mount as written on stones, and then Jesus would encapsulate that into the two great commandments. Certainly, death is not becoming the promises of God. God promises life, but don't go around killing somebody or even should you not murder them in a physical sort of way, then don't deny them the love of God. Tell them they can't be loved of God. Act in some way that you are justified and you're withholding the provision of God, the charity of God that God has given to all his Creation and in particular human creation and in particular began in the Garden of Eden with Adam. And though it got all twisted really earlier, as early earlier in the Word, as early as not even our being out of the book of Genesis, it's already twisted in the first few chapters. By what? Uh, the devil. It still doesn't mean, though, that when Jesus comes and restores the awareness of what love really is, that God has never withheld his love from us, his perfect love from us, that it is us who have rejected God, it is us who have fallen into the trap of somehow believing that in that justification that we're the only ones or that God loved us more than anybody else or simply because you didn't come from the right stock you did not do it the right way that that was only for the Hebrew people and that we can't possibly love others and though that may have been an edict in the Old Testament even from God himself it was not for the sake of denying the Gentiles or the rest of the world so to speak love it was so that the rest of the world and their lack of appreciation or understanding some of which were nothing more than beastly <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar wandering around in the wilderness maybe even worse venomous snakes themselves evil <laughs> thereof because of the corruption of the word or God's love as they would be taken to the extreme 
as when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, whether God did that or they removed themselves, they were not wise enough to understand the salvation message and it required God to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that we would then understand it. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the presentation of God's love, not only to the Hebrew people who had gotten lost along the way, but also to the Gentiles. Not just because the Hebrew people wouldn't accept it, but getting back to the notion of don't intermingle, so to speak, too soon. They were way out there themselves at the time and still were trying to learn What lesson of love that Jesus then brought to them. It took all of those generations of Hebrew faith to get to the place of their understanding who God was. So they might receive then Jesus, but didn't. The Hebrew people. And how do we know? Because they were still quite selfish and self-indulgent. They were all about themselves. They were all about God. Why God would allow such things to happen or if they understood how they had corrupted what was the gift of God, love, perfect love, it was not producing the fruit of abundant life because they'd gotten caught up in all of the things Adam and Eve got caught up in. The devil tempted Adam and Eve with, and the temptations continue. And unfortunately, in that psychosocial environmental of ways, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, even today, they kept passing down the corruption of the word. It wasn't so that only they would be loved, or even in some benevolent sort of way, they could then kind of share the excess of the surplus with others, But it was that they were then to be not only ambassadors of God's love unto those that were in greater need even, but that they were to then even as Jesus to lay down their life for others. Not only in a, once again, charitable benevolence, but truly to love others even if it required their own life to give back to God, give back to life so that life then could then be replenished, (laughs) go out and populate in the right sort of way, but that the dead could be resurrected and that no one would be found lacking When it comes to God's love, because God's love is not in any way withheld by God, should never be in any way withheld by us, we should be vessels through which God could pour forth the blessing of love and life to everyone, even if it meant the passing of the human form, which again is a bit of a misunderstanding. All things material die, but they don't die just simply for the sake of death. It's all part of a creative process that God then resurrects even in just material dimensions, the dead back to life. But what it's all about in spiritual dimensions is that there is no such thing as death. And should you fear it, you've got the messaging wrong. Live your life as if you'll live forever. And there is no such thing as death. Because if you don't, then the fear of that thing we call death. And our misunderstandings that the devil so loves to promulgate. That, oh, it's going to kill you. It's going to take your life. You really can't give it all away because if you give it all away, you'll have none. If you have none, then you'll just die a miserable sort of death. Some of those, the sect of the Pharisees, believed in resurrection, as we've declared in the last few podcasts from the dead. Some didn't even believe in that. They believed by this point were so atheistic in some of their understandings. They believed all it was about was just this material life and what we had been relegated to and making the best 
in a bad sort of way of what otherwise couldn't be seen as anything but a bad situation. When Paul encountered these natives, these Gentiles, so to speak, of Melita or Malta, and how did he make his way there? He was shipwrecked and was found to be quite dependent upon their benevolence or God had seen fit that they should minister unto him. They didn't have a problem ministering unto him. And what was that ministry? They loved him. Now, did they know about Jesus? I don't think they knew about Jesus in quite the same way once Paul appeared and then before, (laughs) spent some time there, before going on to Rome, But in that same sort of a way, they didn't know it in the way the Hebrew people would know it of the Messiah to come. But even so, having known it by empirically an experience with Emmanuel, God, in Jesus, the Christ, they still rejected him. These folks showed us no little kindness. These folks were quite generous. They loved, even though they didn't love maybe in somewhat the same personal dimensions. They had not quite come to an awareness of Paul's personality or didn't know much about the Hebrew people or all of this that the Bible had captured up to this point of how God was going to give the world the Messiah through the Jewish people. But their hearts were no, in no way as hardened as the Hebrew people's hearts. The ones that were supposed to have known the most, the ones that if there was any instruction in the Old Testament to not intermingle just yet, it wasn't because God didn't want them to love in this way that Jesus then showed God's love. Paul was testifying of God's love would have himself praised even so there no little kindness as an act of charity it just goes to prove the Gentiles did not in many ways need to be shown love in the same way the Hebrew people having been shown love and then getting it all wrong because measuring it only in material terms, transactional terms, when all of those things that they equated to love, all the blessings and material provision and dimension had kind of been taken from them, they were resorting to what the devil was doing. Even before he corrupted Adam and Eve in the garden. Lying, cheating, stealing, selfishly, for himself, all those things that he had in some previous dimension of time. Some dispensation. Had lost himself because he started to believe it all came from him. It doesn't come from him, nor did God expect it to be with the Hebrew people something that they came up with. God's love knows no boundaries, no bounds, except that we would try to put boundaries on it and definitions. The Old Testament just calls our attention to the fact that it's not going to come from us. It's not going to even be so easily or readily or in any way at times measured materially. Surely Paul being shipwrecked might have been construed by many and maybe even the Hebrew people Paul eventually told the story to in Rome. As evidence of, see what kind of failing or failure you are, Paul? How failing your messaging is? That wouldn't happen if you were blessed of God. You would not be in bondage to Rome if you were blessed of God. You would not be in any way, shape, or form denied the material provisions of God, the charity, if you were right with God. And even though there was a bit of that with these natives, I will call them, the Gentiles of Malta, Melita, it was soon put away when they discovered that the venomous snake 
really didn't kill Paul. Now, I am inclined to see things that maybe others don't so readily see. And the more (laughs) I might do that, then the more I might be out there. And what I see may not actually be there, but it could be there. And why would I not want to share it with you if I thought it would help you to, again, as we called it on the last podcast, break bread? In such a manner or fashion that it might enhance or your, your understanding or your appreciation for the most important aspects of word, living word of God. That is Jesus Christ and the love of God as manifest in Christ unto others and not only the power to resurrect the dead, us, but also to heal the sick. <laughs> To bind the broken and the wounded for the sake of not necessarily just charity, but so that they might then understand. Love is not simply healing. Love is not simply an act of charity. Love is an empowerment so that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water so that you might then, in that same way someone has loved on you, love others. So that we would then, in our best human endeavors, realize it ain't going to come from us. It comes from God. But God's not going to withhold the provision. We just have to be open to realizing he's going to give it to us. But not so that we can hoard it up or hold on to it for the day, the rainy day, so to speak. When we might need it. But that we're to give it to others freely. As freely as we've received, freely give. Because if you don't, then you're becoming quickly dead men and women walking. These folks on the Isle of Melita, these folks that Paul encountered immediate to being shipwrecked, this is kind of the Garden of Eden story. (laughs) There was a snake. He got into the garden. And in an act of love and kindness... He tried to dissuade, or at least tried to kill, the great intent of charity. Even so, separate all that he could from not only one another, as then with the sharing of that love, one unto another, but even so, the love of God, because we are vessels of his love, because Jesus is in us so that we might love others, so that we might fulfill the two great commandments, his Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being love, has been there all along. If he can somehow convince you you're going to die or that death is attached to it, then he could scare all these folks away from Paul's message long before they even began to really understand not only the message of sharing it, but also appreciate they'd already started it by loving on Paul. It made it so much easier in Paul's shipwreck condition, in his need for love, even though he was the Apostle Paul and on a mission from God, and certainly that was no evidence of failing, He was going to be able to reciprocate that love out of the goodness of Jesus in him, even as these Gentiles who were yet to really be introduced fully to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, they already had some of that in them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't come so much so out of one simply because Jesus or God loves them. God put that in, but Jesus brings that out. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't with God in the garden as with the tree of life. It isn't that Jesus isn't God, the Christ. It's just that (laughs) as our faith would be, so be it unto us. We just have to believe So much so to go ahead and act and to give it away with confidence that it's already there. But if that gives Paul anything to work with, the devil would have gained a lot by trying to dissuade them early on by allowing then the venomous snake... 
to result in his death. And they wouldn't have understood it, because I don't think Paul would have died, certainly, even if it had been his appointed time to go on and be with the Lord. But even so, Adam and Eve did not understand. All the devil could do was trick them into this misunderstanding that somehow death was the end. No, it is in a material way for allowing room for the new creature in Christ to then emerge a new person to be born again. But it isn't your sentence to eternal damnation or death as with hell. What it is is it's a passageway back to the Spirit in Jesus Christ so that the Spirit could then be born again or shown again in those rebirth sort of terms to resurrect what seemingly so is dead but really isn't. But none of that in material dimension has anything to do with the love of God in Jesus Christ because there's nothing that has separated us from the love of God, even Adam and Eve, as God gave them life, except that the devil would somehow trick them into believing that God no longer loved them. That's not true. Death in the flesh is not evidence that God doesn't love you. It's appointed unto all of us to at least die once. But that's for the sake of material creativity or material expression of that creativity that actually was why God breathed life into Adam and Eve in the first place. But it's to pass on, as with Adam and Eve when they left the garden, we've now been given that gift of life. And in those same sort of loving social terms, loving one another as a social act, we're to hold that in kingdom of God terms as of highest priority so that we can then release the fullness of what is inside of us. Life, love. I don't want to say that you can have life and love without Jesus. I just don't want to say get so caught up in believing that only Jesus produces life in us. God has already produced life in us. But Jesus only produces life in us, is the only way, means to life, because he tells us, it's not of you, it's of God in you. It is of the Holy Spirit already there within you. You just have to accept him, the Holy Spirit, as they did in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, And believing that that power and that exchange was never compromised. But if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection power, then you've judged yourself unworthy of it and entering into him in that same way that you would release it, find a release, a method or mechanism in the Holy Spirit to bring forth that love from others. But don't be surprised if even those that don't know of Jesus as the Christ still have the capacity to love, to show kindness and charity. Jesus was there in the garden from the very beginning. The tree of life was there. We just didn't know it. It took, again, all of those years until Malachi (laughs) and for Christ to be manifest, to be revealed Jesus as the Christ so that we might then have that breath of life replenished within us. But if I begin to say, well, but that wasn't there before Jesus, then I'm feeding into, I think, the devil's most cunning lie that somehow it can be stolen from you either by the devil and all his lying, cheating, and stealing, and his selfish ambitions, and his parasitic ways of getting what he wants and needs without having to go through God by stealing it from you and killing you in the process. But if I begin to believe that, then what I begin to believe is that somehow, even so, the power of Jesus, the Christ, is somehow contingent on some transactional dimension of relationship, even with Jesus, that suggests that I could lose that 
I just can't have that, except that I would accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he, he is, he being the way, truth, to life. I have to do it according to Jesus. And what is that? I have to lay it all down. I have to give it all away. I have to trust and believe and have faith in the power that is in me, that God has placed in me, or I sentence myself to death because I never actualize that, and I, not God, withhold that from myself. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. But life, eternal life existed whether we understood it or not from day one of our humanity. God did not take that away from us. The devil could not steal that from us. But it is us who sentence ourselves to death. But if that's true, then if we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior... If we accept Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, then we have an acceptance of the power that is in us. And then, rightly so, not out of self or selfish ambition, fear of death, which drives selfish ambition to the point of death. And not only our own, but we'll go around killing everybody else. That's why Jesus was crucified. But that's also why Jesus was crucified, so that he too could prove, even as Paul did to these Gentiles, the venomous snake can't kill you. The venomous snake can't steal the blessing. The venomous snake only can trick you into forfeiture, the giving up of that blessing, your rightful inheritance. And to get back in, so to speak, you have to die to whatever that is of self, selfish ambitions, whatever that is of carnal soul, human soul, that is then a product of only the bodily operation of psychology, identity. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God if only because they could not live in the glory of God, except that they would have, again, as with last podcast, a covering. Jesus is that covering. He is the cloak of righteousness. If God accepts Jesus as worthy being the Christ of the firstborn among many, Entry into resurrection and then heaven. And how do we know that? Because we witnessed that, not only with Jesus, but we've witnessed that too with Stephen. We witnessed that too with all of those who, as with then the power of Jesus Christ, not only are translated, but transfigured. It is one of those things that is of spiritual testimony, Holy Spirit discernment. Your eyes are open. The scales again fall off your eyes. These Gentiles already were showing love. It was already in them. They just needed a little help in setting it totally free. And even then, having seen the Christ... The Hebrew people, reminding you of that most important of premises, they were completely and totally lost to the extent or degree that even Saul, the Apostle Paul, was guilty of the same persecution of anybody and everybody that seemed to have a bit of that, and they didn't. And isn't it good news that God saw fit? To not withhold that from the Gentiles. Because if the Hebrew people had their way, they would. Even if it were to be somehow, in some ways, justified or attempt to be justified. By now that we've got it established, we're going to then, with once more, sort of self-righteousness... Do it of ourselves. We're going to be benevolent. We're going to give it away to you. That's not God's plan. 
That was not Jesus' plan. When you give it away, you give away any selfish ambition or with that selfish ambition, any authority you'd like to cop. As once again, the lingo would go. Because it isn't yours to give away. It's God's. You just choose to participate. You choose to accept. You choose to allow that power out of, again, that deeper part of you to be manifest not only unto the world, but first unto you. To know there is but one God, the loving with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and then, wow, to your discovery, you can love others as you have come to love yourself or accept the love of God yourself. But that doesn't make you anything but a vessel. And in some ways, that is what Jesus is. He's the way that God shows us in human personification what it is to be a vessel. And the power that comes out of us isn't out of us, in selfish dimensions, out of our carnal soul or human soul or knowledge of good and evil, of right and wrong and our judgments. It's out of God and His benevolence. But if we can remove that, at least as with priority, we need to go to the tree of life first, Jesus Christ, then once more, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Don't be surprised if that power doesn't start to proceed forth from you. But lest you get caught up in the same trap of the Hebrew people and thinking that somehow you earned it, somehow you were able to get it well enough that you could then harness the power of love and life through some sort of action, some sort of manipulation, You'll never raise the dead. You can't even resurrect yourself from death. But it is not only as with the first death. It is as with word, then the second death too that lies ahead of you. Jesus spares you that. Love, perfect love, always leads to eternal, abundant, eternal life. It is the royal law. (laughs) It is that, as with freely have you again received, freely give. Now again, how do I know any or all of this? We're going to go in Acts chapter 28 to, same chapter, to verse, let's see. Twenty-one. Well, let's go a little earlier. Let's go to verse 18. Who, when they had examined me, would have let me go. This is Paul talking about how he could have been set free if he had played to the material dimensions of higher authorities, governance, secularism, humanism, as the Romans were. But he wasn't going to pay homage to that, nor was he going to give his life unto that. When they examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had anything to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. He was showing charity and benevolence. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spoke any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they have appointed a day, and there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Continuing with verse 25. 
And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. Well spoke the Holy Spirit by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For this, or for the heart of this people is become obtuse or hardened, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have or have they closed, lest they shall see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great disputing among themselves. The Hebrew people were rejecting of the message of not only love, but eternal life. They had hardened their hearts unto it, as even so through all of those things that we have even so said on today's podcast or described on today's podcast that led them to such a state of apostasy that they, many of them, I believe truly, were atheistic and had resorted to humanism, secularism, and saw the kingdom of God as something that needed to be ordered by human thought. And though you could argue that the Romans were a civilized culture, or the Roman culture was a civilized culture, and that as it was put together, there was some degree of fairness and equity, and in that sort of way, maybe the application, you could say, of the Ten Commandments, I'm sure that that was to some extent part of all that went into human awareness in general, Not just Hebrew awareness, but human awareness in general of the truths of God as would then be applied, probably mixed with some other cultures as well. But the Romans were possibly the best that you could ever get in human terms. Why wouldn't the Hebrew people, if they'd given up on the love of God and the power of God, To bring forth the kingdom of God, not only in material manifestation, but kingdom of heaven manifestation. Not only when you do cross over by proxy of death, bodily death, but emanating directly not only from the the power that be within, that God had already placed in us humans, but that was even of higher order, kingdom of heaven stuff, where it was not unto any sort of judgment of right and wrong alone and what's fair and what's not fair. Because when you take death out of the equation and you allow the power of love and life to flow freely, it doesn't matter if you're in body. Or not, actually, if there is anything that matters, being in spirit is all that matters. Because in the end, all that matters is spirit and even more Holy Spirit and even more that being the language of God's love as he would speak it unto not only us, but universally so unto all of his creation. This was not just for the Hebrew people, nor was it going to be restricted only to then the Hebrew people. Jesus came so that even the Hebrew people who were up to that point, given all the advantages of finishing that to create, creating or allowing God in them to produce, to bear the fruit, the fig tree withering, the fruit of the kingdom of heaven even while we were still in material dimensions. But the Romans, being the Gentile nation, the secular nation it was, had to come in and do it better than the Hebrew people because the Hebrew people were languishing through their 
humanism itself. Their disregard for the love of God by believing that somehow either God didn't love them any longer or that God's love was not all that they thought it was or maybe all that they thought it was was a bit of a myth. Jesus come to prove. There's no myth in that. It's not a cunningly devised fable. The love of God manifests in Jesus Christ as Jesus is the Christ demonstrates that it's not about your body. It's not even about preservation of your body beyond the meaning or purpose, the reasons God put you in the first place, which is basically just to help one another, to love one another in not only charitable dimensions, but unconditional, not only benevolence, but in total, give your life for another sort of measure, which Jesus did. But it wasn't just for the Hebrew people. It was for all of the others that God obviously had a hand in creating. And bringing forth out of Adam and Eve. And would not leave them in a state of darkness. That's not God. Any more than he would lead or leave the Hebrew people in a state of darkness. Jesus is the answer universally for all humankind. It's not just a particular culture but or belief system, paradigm, way of belief. Some better, more advanced, some lesser. But sometimes even it's as a child. It's just simply until the corruption really sets in, until the venomous snake really grabs a hold and starts to curse it. It's the innocence of a child. Children love unconditionally or as close to unconditional love as humanly possible. But it doesn't take long before they fall into that corruption as Adam and Eve did. And then the apostasy that proceeds and then needs a savior. To point out again, you're wrong. You're doing this to yourself and one another. God doesn't want this. Here's Jesus. Here's the gospel. Listen Be obedient unto Jesus in the gospel. And again, Jesus just said, love God and love others as you love yourself. In God. By godly standard. But if you need reminders, the Old Testament, that was what that was all about. The great hope that God would be able to logistically provide some sanctification even of the human vessel so that it would have he would have, the Holy Spirit would have, a place to rightly dwell so that there would be preeminence. So that love could predominate. But the Hebrew people had forfeited that long before the Romans or the Greeks. And we're going down that same path now if we're not a Christian nation, if we're not established in the Word we're going to become withering fig trees. A withering fig tree. And why would we think God would do anything different with us than he did with the Hebrew people? But it doesn't have to be then the kingdom of God until Jesus comes again. There will be then a remnant, the kingdom of God, that will still be example and testimony and hopefully some... in that presentation will come to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior... So that until Christ comes again and that work is finally accomplished so that the final judgment and decree could be made on humanity before we all become then new creatures and a new dispensation (laughs) begins, then we're doing what Jesus has called us to do as he did for us. As the Apostle Paul did for not only the Gentiles, but even as this last passage, as I read from Acts chapter 28, starting with verse 18, this was for the Hebrew people. Paul was a Hebrew. Paul was a Jew. I don't think he wanted them saved any more than he would have wanted the Gentiles to know the culmination of all of that in Jesus the Christ and the calling 
of evangelism and the preparation for the second coming of Jesus and the harvesting as with evangelistic sort of planting seeds. But he certainly had a fond place in his heart for the Hebrew people. And maybe it was great benevolence that he didn't turn and curse them. Jesus did curse the fig tree, not because he was intent to not save anyone, but he realized the minute they reject him, they've cursed themselves. That's the cursing. If you reject Jesus Christ and the love of God manifests in Jesus Christ, that's the curse, but you brought it on yourself. And you will only stay under the weight of that curse as long as you continue to reject Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, and free fully the love of God that is in you to the fullest acceptance of the Holy Spirit, of life, not death, of love, of eternal life, of perfect love and abundant life, to the end of not only living it in a hereafter context, as with heaven, but a little bit of that now. But I think that's what this is all about. (laughs) These passages. God is showing. This is what you get when you reject Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This is what you get when you accept him. This is what you get from what I've already given you. We love because he first loved us. But I never took that from you. You cast me out as much as you want to blame me for casting you out. But it's easy to get back. You just have to pass through the two flaming swords. And you have to make the tree of life your first move. But if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you accept the power of the Holy Spirit love that is already within you, that second breath of life... It's eternal life. It's not a second death. You're going to live forever. But so will those that are eternally lost. They're just going to live in hell and damnation. But you'll come back again as new creatures in Christ. If I can help people understand the power of that love, if I can help individuals see the healing, if I can help them understand they have in their heart, hardened their heart. They have become blind. They have then rejected the message of Jesus and the salvation that is therein. They, because their heart of this people is hardened, become obtuse, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their ears, uh, with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. They are more open to receiving it as with the innocence of a child than those that are supposed to be experts at it. But if you go around saying you're an expert, but you don't practice again what you preach, you're nothing but a hypocrite. And no salvation comes from that. Should you be interested in that being then the foundation for all that good psychological stuff that you want to hear about? All the abundant life that God promises you. All the blessings, not only materially, but spiritually, the greatest and grandest of which is salvation in Jesus Christ unto eternal life, not unto the second death and eternal damnation of hell. Then come see me, because we're going to settle that first. (laughs) You're not going to have anything of what you claim you want until you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior And then the power that God has already placed within you, free it to be able to begin to manifest and fulfill the two great commandments. Not of yourself, not out of some sort of self-work, but out of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, full of grace and mercy, 
full of forgiveness, full of God's love. And then don't be surprised if as you love on others and they love on you, we begin to see, though Jesus has yet to come a second time, we'll begin to see at least sufficient to meeting our spiritual needs for love and knowing, too, the righteousness of God even in material terms. We'll be showing and demonstrating what all those Ten Commandments, what all the Old Testament was all about. Not only telling us about what we need to do, but empowering us or proving that the power is already in us to do those things, but it can't be released except the higher power by your permission, choosing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, has a means of expression. But if you should choose to deny Christ, you can dry that up. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can harden your heart to this place of this passage that I've read, this last passage that I read today on the podcast. But that's on you. But don't come see me if you're not willing to do that because I can't help you. I can try to persuade you, but even so, I might have better chances with those that aren't Christian than I do with those that are if it means in your pursuit of Christianity, the devil has tricked you into thinking you got to do it out of yourself and come to realize all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because nobody can do it out of Carnality, knowledge of good and evil, it's only done out of the love of God manifests Jesus Christ that's alive in you. And the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit operation that comes with it. You need a day of Pentecost moment. Should you want to reach out to us, you can contact us at covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can find us online at covenantsonline.com. You can e... Well, I already gave you the email. You can visit us (laughs) on Facebook and on YouTube at Covenants. You can call 304-528-9220. And of course, you're always welcome back to the next podcast of What is Covenants? Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry, with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until we get a chance to break bread again, (laughs) to meet again, I want to wish you the greatest and grandest of all blessings, and that's the love of God alive in you. But it only comes through Jesus Christ. Thanks, and God bless.